thank you for joining us for another episode of God, Law, and Liberty with David Fowler, president of the Family Action Council of Tennessee. Every week, we are putting culture, politics, and law on a collision course with the truth of God's Word. And now, here's David. Welcome to this week's episode of God, Law, and Liberty. And I believe today's episode is going to be a real eye-opener, particularly for those who want to make America great again. Because to be honest, some of the stuff I've been thinking about even the last few weeks has been a real eye-opener to me. And so I'm essentially inviting you to follow along behind me in my own personal journeys. But one of the reasons that I believe today will be a real eye-opener is that one of the persons I'll reference today and some material that he wrote is going to tell us precisely why America whatever it may have been, is not great today and will not be great, in his opinion, if it persists in the beliefs of the past. Now, here's the real shocker. I think he's actually right about the fundamental nature of the problem that's tearing our nation apart. And that is what I want to get out on the table in today's episode. But I will tell you, that in future episodes, his solution to the problem, the one that's actually being pursued with reckless abandon in our nation, is dead wrong. And its continued pursuit cannot but be, or if it's not already under the wrath of God, come under the wrath of God. But I also want to give you some good news that you can hold on to, which, again, we'll get to in future episodes. But I also think America can be greater than it has ever been. But only if two things happen. First, we recover our constitutional structure as it existed after adoption of the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments. And that will happen, at least more speedily, only if the second thing happens. And that's if evangelicals recover two doctrines key to Christianity that have disappeared from our modern consideration. They had disappeared from my consideration, except in a very superficial way. Now, before we get into the heart of this week's episode, for those who may have missed last week or need a bit of refresher, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't easy material. Here's what we established that the foundations of Western civilization have been repudiated at the highest level in our nations, particularly as it was revealed by the disconcerting moral dullness of the oral arguments made in December to the United States Supreme Court in defense of Mississippi's 15-week abortion ban. You'll recall those words were used, disconcerting, moral dullness by Jeff Schaefer, uh, an attorney who now directs the Hale Foundation at New St. Andrews College. And what we noted in regard to that discussion with Mr. Schaefer is that there was no discussion in those oral arguments of what it meant to be human in connection with what everybody in that courtroom would concede is a human life. There was none. And in that connection, you may recall, I discussed an article by 
a moral philosopher of our day, Michael Hanby, who described what is taking place in America as a, quote, total revolution, which he described as a, quote, revolution against being, which I said explains why we didn't want to talk about what it means to be a human being in the United States Supreme Court. Now, I described what Hanby was saying of this revolution in terms of how William Groen van Prinster in the second half of the 19th century described the revolution that began with the Enlightenment and came to full flower in France in the late 18th century. It was, he said, a revolution against God and that man had ascended to the throne of transcendence to autonomously self-interpret everything around him. And of course, if man has that power, he can interpret for himself what it means to be human, right? But in regard to that, I played a clip from my interview with Attorney Schaefer that I introduced this way, and it ties into what I'm going to describe in the second half of today's podcast. Let's listen to that introduction and the clip of Mr. Schaefer. And if you'll listen to this clip, you'll hear what Jeff says was substituted for any substantive, meaningful discussion of what it means to be human. Um, instead, we heard used this strange dialect of anemic proceduralism of made-up case law factors. So, you know, several of the participants, um, notably, pretended anguish or befuddlement, uh, suggesting that the question presented in Dobbs is a difficult one, whether the Constitution forbids states to legislate against the grisly murder of innocent human life in the, mo- in the womb. Mm. Hear me. Yeah. The attenuation of the courtroom exchanges from the gravity of the matter that was under consideration was on display in this form of argument that was deemed proper to the occasion. Now think about this. The court was considering the murderous Holocaust of its own making and continuance. Yet the themes of the oral argument principally treated considerations like uh, the, the price of contraception relative to abortion, or whether the court should uphold its past rulings because a lot of people like them and have designed their lives around the court's elimination of state authority to restrict abortion, or whether the court will look unprincipled if it rules one way or the other on the question, thereby risking loss of institutional credibility, or whether the women's, woman's interest in aborting is sufficiently served by a post-15-week prohibition instead of a contentious viability standard, or how a row reversal may impact women's workplace prospects if they have to contend with pregnancy and child-rearing responsibilities. All this is ghastly. Now, I want to follow up that clip with another clip. I'm going to read to you a webpage from a noted Christian organization explaining why it supports Mississippi's law. And you'll see that the arguments advanced here do not deal at all with what Jeff called the anthropological verities of what does it mean to be human and to live in society. Here was the first reason. It protects unborn children. Now that's great, and as Dr. Grant said, that protection of unborn children would line up with a creational reality. But listen to how the reason for that is explained. 
not because the unborn is a person and a human being and therefore entitled to legal protection under the 14th Amendment's Due Process Clause that applies to persons. Instead, the argument is this, I'm quoting, at 15 weeks, unborn babies have a heartbeat, can move around and kick, sense and respond to physical stimulation, taste what the mom eats, a hiccup. They can also feel pain. Now see, all of those things are what Dr. Grant would call second and third order results of the fact that you are a human being made in the image of God. Now, here was my evaluation of the argument by that Christian organization, which I'm, I'm sure would be the same as that of Dr. George Grant, who's the Dr. Grant I mentioned in the clip. Uh, let's listen. Now, the, the simple answer to that is, so, that's your preference, that those things are more valuable than the woman's freedom from the consequences of her sexual activities, or her freedom from the burdens of pregnancy, or her freedom from the burdens of motherhood. You see how this is just an argument for preference? That's why Dr. Grant said this is a flimsy argument from a worldview perspective. Now here's why I wanted to play those clips. As I indicated, they tie into the assessment of America made by the person I referenced at the top of the podcast, Roland Van Zandt, who wrote a book in 1959 entitled The Metaphysical Foundations of American History. Now, don't let that title scare you off. I'm going to read you a part of his book that explains the problem with America as he sees it, and then I'm going to explain what he's saying to make sure we got it, and, and then I'm going to explain how it ties into the clips you just heard relative to the arguments on the issue of abortion. And then I want to close with a very similar statement to that of Mr. Van Zandt by one of his contemporaries, Christian contemporary of his, actually. And it was actually through this Christian philosopher and uh, theologian that I found the, the reference to Mr. Van Zandt's book. And so when we're done today, I believe you will understand what is at the root of our problems today. And then in future episodes, we'll look at how that problem is being addressed, how it should be addressed, and finally, why neither evangelicalism as it exists today or Catholicism have any answer to the problem. And worse yet, the answer that they offer contributes to the problem. Now, let's dig into what Mr. Van Sant said. The status of American history today is the same as that of science at the end of the 19th century when the contradictions that science experienced in practice were not yet seen, as they have been since Einstein, to involve a systematic crisis in theory. Now, what is he saying? He's saying that at the end of the 19th century, okay, the late 1800s, science was running into a number of contradictions that it couldn't explain. And they've now been explained since Einstein, and he's saying that the problem in science was a theory that was in crisis. And so he's saying that America is today facing a crisis in the theory that underlies what America is. He goes on to say, precisely like the theologians, Mueller has said, physicists, until the time of Einstein, 
regarded their arbitrary logical scheme as absolute, unvarnished truth. In a similar manner, we may equally assert that precisely like the physicist, the American historian, or the person I'm saying here who's looking at America, wanting America to be great again, trying to figure out how to solve the problems of America, takes the same arbitrary logical scheme as absolute unvarnished truth. And what's he saying here? He's saying that science, prior to Einstein, thought that there were certain things that were absolute. They were true. They were true to the nature of the way things are. And he's saying, but they realize that no, that's not true. And we'll, we'll look more at that in, in future episodes. And, and he's saying, that's the same thing that's the problem in America. The things that we believed at the time we were founded, we thought they were absolute. They were true, that they were non-arbitrary. What might he be referring to? Well, of course, he might be referring there to, I think, for, for sure, that we believed in certain self-evident truths because they came from a creator and that we were a separate and independent nation and we were entitled to be a separate and independent nation because of certain things that were true. And he's saying uh, that that foundational belief system in America is as wrong as the foundation that undergirded science until Einstein came along. Okay, now here is the key part. He then goes on to describe various problems that we're facing in America, uh, apparent paradoxes, he said. And here's how he describes it. These paradoxes could be multiplied, but I think they are sufficient to establish for the present the main point that the subject of American history, as it is today defined and disseminated, is generally paradoxical. In other words, we're finding lots of conflicts, uh, problems that we just didn't envision. And he's saying that the, the truths that we held to can't resolve these uh, conflicts. And that's what he says in the very next sentence. Central to that paradox, these conflicting tensions that can't seem to be resolved, and, and, and we'll talk about those in just a moment, is an ancient dilemma of man, the problem of the one and the many, the part and the whole. Now, I'll confess, I went to really great prep schools, I went to college, I didn't study philosophy or any of that stuff, I was an accounting major, but I went to law school, and I had never heard of the central dilemma of man from ancient times called the one and the many. Now, maybe you, you, you had heard of it, but, but I had not. Uh, that was new to me probably five or six years ago. And it was new to me because I read this from another book that's by the Christian author I mentioned. And here is what he says, and you'll notice how it parallels what Mr. Van Zant just said. One of the most basic and continuing problems of man's history is the question of the one and the many and their relationship. The fact that in recent years men have avoided discussion of this matter has not ceased to make their unstated presuppositions with respect to it determinative of their thinking. Now I'm going to come back to that last statement in just a moment. 
but here is what I, I want to get to for right now. Much of the present concern about the trends of these times. Now, that's what Mr. Van Zandt is talking about, the trends of our times, these contradictions between the one and the many. So what might that be? Well, do we have individual freedom or, or do we have a, a collective social conscious kind of freedom? Uh, what's the relationship between the national governments and the state governments, between law and freedom, between the individual and um, the collective body, society? See, all, all of those tensions. And, and, and he's saying, Van Zandt's saying, that they're getting aggravated as we go along. And um, we'll talk more about how they're getting aggravated uh, in, in future episodes. But, but that's what this Christian author is saying, too, is that there are concerns about the trends of these times. And he says, but that concern is, quote, literally wasted on useless effort because those who guide the activities, that would be our legislators, our leaders in our academic institutions, and I would even go so far as to say the leaders within the church, cannot resolve with the philosophical tools at hand to them, the problem of authority. Now, there's something very important in what he said there. He said, with the philosophical tools at hand to them. He didn't say the theological tools, but the philosophical tools. And he goes on to say that this is the heart of the problem of the proper function of government. Of course, obviously, the question of authority is key. But how do you exercise authority so that there can be a harmony and a unity within all the diversity that does, in fact, exist? He goes on to say this. The plea that this is a pluralistic culture. And haven't you heard that? Well, we live in a pluralistic culture. Well, the plea that, well, it's a pluralistic culture, he says, is merely recognition of the problem, not an answer. And that's critical to understand. Now, how does this tie in to what Jeff Schaefer was saying and what that Christian organization was saying in its defense of Mississippi's abortion law? What were they talking about? Only diversity. Only a variety of particulars. In other words, they weren't discussing the question of, is there anything that ties all of these things together? For example, the cost of contraception, the balance between state and national governments, the credibility or uncredibility of the court, the cost of carrying a baby to term, the cost of motherhood, whether the baby can hiccup and move and feel pain. All of those are particular things. There are a diversity of things that all could be considered, but nobody looked at whether there was any unifying principle by which all those particular things could then be examined and evaluated properly. And it's for the failure, particularly of the church, to assert that in connection with the kind of matters that we're dealing with, anthropological verities that deal with whether human beings live or die, or who can be married to who, that we have 
wasted effort in our nation. We have, as a church, offered no solution to the diversity. And as you saw by the arguments that were being made, we simply offer more diversity. And as Dr. Grant was saying, when there's nothing to unify together, no absolute by which those particular things can be evaluated and considered, all you have is preference, and that is a flimsy argument. And as long as we Christians continue to not address this question of unity and diversity and capitulate to the problem that there can only be diversity by only making arguments grounded in diversity and not in unity and not in law, well, we'll have no solution to the problems. And, and that, my friend, is today's episode. We have to come to understand the answer to the question of unity and diversity. That we have no answer right now is what is tearing us apart. And we can't figure out whether we want to really be diverse and everything goes for everybody, but we know that can't work, so we have to have unity. And we can't have states having different laws about abortion. And we have to nationalize everything according to the humanist solution to the problem based upon how the Supreme Court evaluates a bunch of particulars. And we feed in to that very worldview ourselves as Christians. So I hope you have found today enlightening. Next week, we're going to look at what Mr. Van Zant said the solution to the problem was. And then we're going to look at what really is the problem and then we'll start looking at how Christians have theologically contributed to the problem and why theologically Christians are contributing to the problem. So thank you for joining me today, and I hope you'll join me in the future here at God, Law, and Liberty in the series we've entitled Foundations. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. God, Law, and Liberty is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information, please visit us at www.facttennessee.org. That's F-A-C-Tennessee.org. And please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Fact Tennessee.